The following episode was made in front of a live studio audience in the New Zealand Warbirds hangar, where we are very grateful that they allowed us to host our Wings Over New Zealand forum on the 28th of September 2014. I do apologise for the sound quality. It's a large hangar and we had a big live audience. The Wings Over New Zealand show is brought to you in association with the Wings Over New Zealand Aviation Forum, New Zealand's number one aviation discussion forum online. There you'll find discussion on all aspects of New Zealand aviation, from history to current affairs and thousands of photos covering the Royal New Zealand Air Force, airlines, general aviation, warbird restorations, air show news, sport aviation, home building, gliding, aviation media and much, much more. You'll be in good company with other aviation enthusiasts, including pilots, engineers, warbird owners and restorers, historians and authors, modelers, aviation photographers and many others. Sign up to the Wings Over New Zealand community now. It's free and easy. Just Google Wings Over New Zealand and you'll find the forum. Hi, it's Matt Jolly from warbirdradio.com. Listen, I am thrilled to have Dave Homewood as part of our broadcast family and bring your stories, the stories of the RNZAF, heard right here on Wings Over New Zealand to our global audience. Thanks for listening. I hope to hear from you sometime at warbirdradio.com. G'day, I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. And we're from Plane Crazy Down Under, Australia's aviation show. And you can find us at planecrazydownunder.com. We reckon for the best coverage of the Kiwi warbird restoration and aviation scene, you can't go past Dave Homewood and the Wings Over New Zealand show. On you, Dave. Yeah, good on you, mate. Yeah, we've got to get to New Zealand soon. Where is that anyway? Well, it's where I grew up. I thought that was Brisbane. The Wings Over New Zealand show would like to acknowledge the great support it's had from Fly DC3. You can fly back in time with Fly DC3 from Ardmore Airport, charter the DC3 Dakota and fly into the past. It's an experience you'll never forget. Fly DC3. Go to www.flydc3.co.nz. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. Welcome to the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, we hear from Brett Nichols, who owns two BAC-167 Strikemasters, former RNZF jet trainers. Over to Brett. Why did I buy a Strikemaster? <laughs> well, I woke up in the concert the other night and why, why, why? Um, goodness me. For a whole lot of reasons, really. Jets are the new warbirds. They really are. You know, let's be, let's be frank, I grew up in the 70s and 80s, um, late 70s and 80s, and um, you know, I saw the jet aircraft I saw flying around the jets, you know, um, and it's not taken away from the Mustangs and Spitfires and Harvards, and I obviously fly Harvard as well, but you know, jets are the new warbirds. Um, and when I saw it for sale in Australia, I thought, well, I'm going to get it back home to New Zealand, it's got to fly in New Zealand, so that's what I did. Obviously, it has a very strong provenance in New Zealand. It's a, um, it's arguably is, uh, well, I'm a bit controversial to say this, but you know, not many Spitfires flew in New Zealand. 
but Stroke Masters did. Sorry, Doug. Um, so it's got strong New Zealand Providence, and it was affordable. And I put affordable in inverted commas because the purchase price is nothing compared to what it costs around. Nothing. Nothing at all. If only I knew. Would I have changed things up with you? Maybe, maybe not. Well, the first year when I decided, actually, when I first bought 6370, I remember I was in Christchurch on business and I was driving down the road and Brownie had called me and uh, Dave Brown called me and I was actually just driving through Hackney Park there and um, I pulled over and said, oh, you know, Brownie, guess what? He goes, oh, what, Brad? I said, oh, I bought a Strike Master. And he goes, you haven't, have you? <laughs> so I thought, well, that was an interesting start to my journey. Um, it was based in the Port Macquarie in northern New South Wales. It was supposedly, well, it was supposedly airworthy in Australia. Um, little did I know how much work was involved getting it back into a, sta a state that I was happy with. And I'll, I'll make my, and I'll say this throughout the presentation. My goal was to have these aircraft internally maintained to the highest possible standard. No, no expense to spare, no, nothing whatsoever. To make them, make sure they are maintained to a very high standard. Sure, the paintwork needs a bit of work, but um, I'd rather have the insides working better than the paintwork on the outside. I'm not going to give it a dulux uh, a rebuild, you know. Uh, supposedly, everywhere in Australia, hired the guys across the, across the way at Pioneer to help me. They're ex RNZF, and they've got experience in A4s and uh, Strike Masters. And um, on the strong advice of the owner, of the then owner, he recommended container, containerising it across to. Um, New Zealand, which should have been a should have been probably a flag to me right then. Well, I did get it all checked out. Believe me, I did get it all checked out. But uh, despite the logs being supposedly accurate, um, they weren't. So I ended up uh, getting a phone call from Pioneer one day saying, "Brett, Brett, got some bad news for you, mate." I said, "Okay, yeah. what? The engine shagged." Oh, that's nice. Um, turned out that despite being three, uh, it had been signed off three hours ago, the lacing wire in the back of the engine was broke. And it wasn't broke once, it was toast. You know, it was obviously, I'm not going to say what I think happened, but um, it, it had obviously been broken for a while. So, the lacing wire is a piece of wire which is a post mod to the Viper 535, so it might have been done the Viper, so I don't know, that um, stops the blade creep. So, during operation, the blades called creep, expand and contract of the heat, and the wire that put an after manufacturing mod through the uh, blades to, um, to stop that creep. Now that, if that breaks, of course, one going to chuck some metal from out the back of the engine until it's not going to be effective. Um, so that was broke, so the engine needed to be replaced. So after a, an awful lot of money, I found a zero-timed engine, a zero-timed by Rolls-Royce out in the UK. And uh, air freighted it across because I didn't want it to be, uh, you know, chucked in the can. I do a lot of shipping as part of my day job, and I know what can happen in these containers. I didn't want that, that damage. I also wanted to get it to the Amarca Air Show in 2011. So we air freighted it, air it across. Can you imagine how much it cost that air freighted 535 engine out to New Zealand? A lot of money. And um, we re, we re engine the Strike Master. First time we re engine the Strike Master in I don't know how many years? 20, 30? Um, went well done, the boys pointed into the great goal. Three engine, chucked it on, started it up, went on. Um, had to get lots of 
uh, lots of uh, the logs sorted, um, lots of niggles sorted and all that sort of stuff and had to go through the process of first of type. Now, because the Strike Master wasn't operated in the Civil Register, when I brought it back, it was considered to be first of type on the New Zealand Civil Register. So we had to go through all the first of type stuff to get it done. Again, time and money. Um, I also had to uh, assemble a great team of pilots and uh, ground support. Pioneer have been fantastic and I thoroughly recommend them. I've got some great pilots, Brandy, Mark Halliwell, we'll talk soon, Dean Beverly, great bunch of guys, you know. And one of the keys to this, because I'm not from an aviation background per se, I don't, I don't run aviation business, this is what I'll do now, but it wasn't my intention. You know, the thing is, I brought my business experience to Strymaster and what does that mean is, what does that mean? It means to me that I listen to guys who know what they're talking about. It's not about personality. So if anybody's got an opinion, I listen to it and make a decision based on that. You know, too often in aviation, you get caught up in personalities, A-type personalities, and we don't actually uh, listen to what's being said. So I think one of the keys to the success of Strike Master so far has been listening to people's opinions and acting on it. Where appropriate. And the fine boys, pioneer, Paul and team, Marty, were just great. Operating. Yep, I'm just going to break for a second. We've got a couple more people to come up. Actually, you can ask me a few questions if you want while waiting. Have you got a question before I turn? While we'll waiting for these other gentlemen to come up. Yo. Yep. Oh, no, 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 I love the RNG of the birds, but no. No, 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 that'd be good, don't get me wrong, really appreciate the support. But, um, oh, no, it's, it's mostly out of the UK, and it's endless. I mean, even, I'll tell you a story, last week, last Friday, when we said to you that everything was going great, Paul closed the canopy, ping. Oh, what's that? That was the canopy spring break. So, there goes another... 300 bucks US plus break plus fillings, I think it's 800 bucks just gone. So it's even hard to this. And it is British, I joke and I say, um, you've probably got better wiring on your, min um, on your Morris Mini, or Morris Minor, whatever, than you have in the Strike Master. Because you see the wiring and it is way thin, way thin. So um, yeah, parts are a problem, but you just have to deal with it. We've had to have um, uh, some parts made with wing bolts. Uh, we've had to have those made. Um, believe it or not, the British, and I'm no expert, but the British um, have the wing bolts move in the, in the bushes. The bushes are fixed, and the wing bolts move. So over time, with all the, fl with all the flying, they kind of they move and get out of tolerances. So we had to have so the rotor balls a bit flexed, so we had to get some more made. So we do what we can, but they're hellishly. And as you buy more, the price goes up because, you know, there's less parts. And if there's 20 on the shelf and suddenly there's 10, suddenly the price doubles. They know that. And they really, they do know that. There's one guy, sorry, I'm telling you, so there's one guy in the UK who's actually got all the BAC spears from the Saudis, the Armanians, and so on, and BAC. So he bought the lot years and years ago. And he just, you know, for a tie, he's paying 500 pounds, 600 pounds for a tie. Um, operating Strike Master, well, it is expensive. It is hellishly expensive. And, you know, um, you know, it's uh, it's just high order of expenses and all. And I'm not, it's no brag, I'm not pucking myself up or anything like this. It is what it is. It's hellishly expensive. Point blank. 
you know, you burn a thousand litre an hour at a low level, up high is different if you transiting from, say, here to a mark or here to one, it's quite different. But if you're just doing a local scenic for somebody and you're, um, um, you want to you know, go up for 20 minutes, yeah, that's, uh, that's 400 litres, 500 litres. Do a few circuits, yeah, you bump up to 600 litres. Way more, easy. So I, I uh, work in 1,000 litres an hour, 2 bucks a litre. So you, you can do the mass. Uh, it, it's a total loss water system, so it takes a point of jet A1, or not jet A1, jet, uh, jet oil, um, and that's a 50 bucks a point, and you use the pint an hour. So, so when you buy a case, it's 900 bucks for a case, and you know, so you know, all the, it just adds up and adds up, you know, landing fees, because it's heavier, you pay more, and rhubarb, 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 it just adds up. And the maintenance bills are eye-watering. You know, coming across today, the radio 62 has been checked, works fine, start her up, radio is on. And I know it's the plug, because I couldn't hear the system warning panel guys, so I know it's the plug, so there's money there to always go in and check it, but it has to be done. So it's, it's, it's expensive. Miss, oh, miss, miss, goodness me, I, I get this all the time. The wind's going to fall off. Now that's it. Oh, Brett, Brett, what do you want? Oh, the wind's going to fall off. Yeah. Right, you know, if you're going to, you know, push the wings on that, you know, they're not going to fall off anytime soon. It's completely incorrect. Um, they were going to fall off if the air force, if the RNZF kept using the way they do, the way they did, excuse me. Um, but they were, they were really, um, really used, using them pretty hard. And also, and it wasn't their fault, the planes weren't designed to fly through Zealand terrain, which is the high mechanical turbulence, all mechanical turbulence being uh, rough air caused by uh, geographic features like mountains and hills and valley, you know, go through the valleys. They weren't designed for, for that. Jets and all aircraft work on a thing called FI, fatigue index. Now, once you get to 100% peak fatigue index, she's in the rubbish bin. She's gone. You know? And every aircraft's like that, not just jets, but jets because of the, um, I guess, the higher G-forces and the more stress you put on the aircraft, aircraft just flying it, if, you know, flying it 250, 350 knots, put a lot more fatigue on it. Yeah, once you get to 100, that's at the toast. Um, so, they're not going to fall off, but yeah, you have to watch fatigue on it. And um, let's put it this way, I've had CV now for four years, and I haven't even, not even got near putting a percent on it yet, for four years. <laughs> And you know, if it gets higher, then you know what? You just do a few less G's. And you just. So there's no real issue about um, the wings falling off. If I was pulling 7 G's uh, every other weekend, then yes, I would. I'll, they might start to uh, look a bit dicey, but not, that's not what we do. We keep a very tight regime of uh, uh, plus 4, minus a half G. So that'll last forever. Uh, brakes and tyres. Uh, yeah, ABS. Everybody says to me, oh, you must be chewing through the brakes and the tyres. Um, no, no more than any other aircraft. No, you just, the way you handle it's different. You know, the way you um, brake and idle is a little short, so you make sure you ease on the braking as, um, as late as possible. Safety, of course. Um, but, you know, no, no, no more than any, any other aircraft. Um, that's probably the two big things in the British Electrics, but that is true. British Electrics aren't the best. It's a good British girl though. <laughs>
Um, what you like to fly? Well, it's fun. I tell you, it's fun, fun, fun. There's no question about it. Um, if you've never been in a jet, jet aircraft, and you go for a fly, it is radically different from anything else. Completely different to fly from um, a Harvard or from a Mustang or from a 172 or whatever. It's just different. There's lots of things to um, think about. In some ways it's a lot easier, believe me, because it's forward, faster, slower, faster, slower. That's all you have to remember. And a bit more as I look over Granny. Um, but it is demanding. There are things, um, and the Strike Master itself is relatively easy to fly for an ex military tech. For those that don't know, I think we should start off with that. The uh, Strike Master is, is the best of breed of the Jet Provost uh, lineage. Started off with the personal Provost, which is the Tower Dragger with the Raider Legion, attacking those on it, and then took a Jet Engine on it, that became the Jet Provost and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and then the Strike Master was the very best, best of breed. Um, people say, oh, it's just like a uh, Jet Provost Mark V, but it's not. It's, People say you should buy Jet Provost Mark V because it's cheap, you know, you get all the parts of it. Well, actually, 90% of it's different. Different wings, different cockpit. Uh, uh, wheels are the same, I think brakes are the same. Um, Strike Master pressurised, Jet Provost, I don't think it is. Um, different engine, so it's quite a, radically different. So people say, oh, you know, the same, well, actually, no, they really are quite different. Strike Master's got another thousand pounds, I believe, in the JP5. Um, but there are a few gotchas. Speeds, you are going faster, so we plan on 240 knots at 85% power, so that could be, depending on the winds and what height you are, that could get range from 240 knots, or we've even we had up to about 350 plus, and we're going back from Wanaka, uh, with a nice, about, about 25,000 feet, uh, with a nice big tailwind. Um, so speeds, and speeds on landings, speeds of the circuit, you know, if you guys are with 172s, we're going 100 knots, and you're going, you know, you know you're suddenly getting, Get the gear, it flaps up, and you're suddenly up to 180, 200, 210, 220 knots. You know, you're going to be catching up pretty fast. Um, runway options, well, you can't, well, you can on the grass, but you choose not to, so that's going to limit it. Um, you know, there are, so you can't just land in your local bit of tarmac, and, uh, you know, you've got, you've got to have minimum, minimum 1,000 metres, minimum. And if it's wet and crosswind, even the Arden is a little short. Um, Fuel burn, discuss that, and many, many pilots in America killed themselves. That's why insurance is very hard to get on jets. Many pilots in the early 80s and 90s, when the jet movement started, killed themselves because they ran out of fuel. And one factor, ran out of juice. You know, flying a harbour, so they were, when you got lots of juice, or T28, you got lots of juice, don't fly a fuel burn too much. But when you're flying a jet that's burning 28 pounds a minute, fuel fuel boom becomes critical. And it's one of the factors that when we go across country to a market, to Wanaka, to wherever, to Masterton, we manage our fuel boom very closely. You know, it takes 50 pounds, as an example. Uh, start up, taxi takeoff to the end of the runway, 50 pounds. You know, and then another 150 pounds to get up to uh, uh, climb-out speeds and so on, 110 pounds to get up to climb-out speeds. So we manage our, our fuel boom really closely. Uh, ROD, rate of descent, it's one of the key factors in landing a jet. <coughs> you know, the strut master weighs 5,000 pounds. So when you're on vinyl, a key factor is rate of descent. If you get that rate of descent out of control, then you're going to land short and you're going to land hard. If you land too hard, well, the, wing, the, wings, uh, excuse me, the wheels are going to come up through the wings. Famous accident a few years ago where that happened. 
So, you know, when you're on short finals, one of the key factors you check is rate of descent. Because if rate of descent's out of control, you've got to, get, you've got to manage that. And plus, it, you know, in a harder 172, you just add a bit of juice and no, there's no problems. But not in the jet, you know, there's lag times and so on, which we'll talk about. <coughs> oh, talk about that now, engine settings. Um, you land over the fence to 65% power. Uh, so that's 7 seconds full time from 0 to 100%. And if you look at the, uh, the graph, the, the power that comes out of a jet engine is at last 25-35% from 65% to 100%. So, you know, it takes 5, if, you, if you're at idle when you um, spool up, it's going to take 5 seconds to give you any power at all, or, or any significant power. So, you know, you count to 7, next time you're on, you're on short finals, count to 7 and see we get from that, and you're, and you're going in, uh, you're going faster. So, you know, that's a real factor. So, one of the check, checks on uh, short finals are power at 65. You know, make sure that's set. Because if you don't spool up and you haven't got the engine set, well, and you haven't got your rate of set, set, you haven't got your speed set, and you haven't got your engine setting set, well, things aren't looking good for you. And after that, that sets the module out here or, or whatever, and then start, things start to get a bit interesting. Uh, and situational awareness, you know, I mean, you can go up a thousand feet and blink an eye. Easy, easy. You look down up to the map, oh, you're a thousand feet, and when you're in control of airspace, you know, that's not, that's not the best thing to be doing. Um, so, and you, you can bust the airspace pretty quick, you even don't get a tower on it, you know, you, you're five, six minutes during the wide gap, so you've got to start thinking here, when do I change frequencies, when do I get the map maps, when do I start pulling tower on when do I get gauges? Well, that sort of stuff, you know, all those things. Uh, very minor stuff, but you've got to think ahead of the aircraft. That takes some getting used to. Sixty-three, sixty-two. Looking at the time. How's the time going now? Um, not really. Uh, sixty-three, sixty-two. I've been talking about flight masters. Um, well, what, why did I buy? Well, I didn't. I tell you, I didn't set out to buy a second flight master. I'm sure of that. But I got called about. Um, from an Air Force officer of exchange in Western Australia, he's up at Michael Williams, he's over at um, Pierce, he dropped actually Brownie, you know, Brownie forwarded to me saying, effectively, you know, there's the strike master in the back of the hangar, it's going to, New Zealand's strike master going to be rolled out of the hangar, and you're interested. And I thought, well, not really, but, you know. Um, so, long story short, um, it was a deceased estate, a gentleman died in. Um, 2007, had the flight since 2004. They own the hangar, um, and um, the family owned the hangar, they just sold it, so you know, I was, had to do something with it. It's going to be pushed out in the grass and then probably chucked up on a pole. And I said, well, that doesn't seem quite right, does it? You know, a piece of New Zealand history and all that, and family a bit benevolent. And it was Christmas time, I probably had a beer or two, and uh, I thought, well, I might as well give it a go. Um, so, um, so I bought it. I bought it. I bought it. And, I, I, and to be fair, you know, I paid a price that reflected that it was a, it was a barn bond. You know, I wasn't, um, hadn't fired for 10 years and stuffed to the back of the hangar. I was flat. According to the boys at Pioneer, I was covered in black, uh, red back spiders. Covered in red back spiders. Um, Steve wasn't too keen about that. Oh well, he's still alive. Um, so it was, it was the, and it was, turns out to be a, a museum piece. It was the first strike master of the ones that were sold in Australia. Um, and, um, 1994, 95, and hadn't flown for 10 years, but, but uh, in those uh, 
years in the mid 90s and 2004, it only done 40, 50 hours. So it was a museum piece. Everything was stock standard. It was, when I got it back here, it was incredible. It was just like it being decommissioned from Air Force. And I know the paint scheme's shocking. I'll, I'll be the first to admit that. But that's the original 1987 paint scheme. Hasn't touched. It's It's got some problems in itself, you know. Um, why did I buy it? I said because I could. Because um, I uh, wanted to secure another piece of museum history. Source, I was going to be source of spares, because spares, as I mentioned before, are horrendously expensive. I was going to be source, source of spares, and then I thought, well, you know, get it back, get it out of the can, chuck the wings on, give it a bit of gas, light it up, and see what happens. And it's a winter. Engines on it, it's a winter. So, lucky me. Um, and uh, so, once we found that the engine was good, we decided to uh, get it airworthy. But remember, two aircraft means double the cost. Believe me. To look at my hand, really. Um, remarkably good condition, set the paintwork. No corrosion, good engine, stored in a dry environment in Western Australia, uh, placed in buses, buses in South of Perth, it's about two hours south of Perth. Beautiful town, never went there, but uh, Steve seemed to like it. Um, but it has cost a lot of money. You know, there's a couple of tie kickers down in Christchurch, you seem to think that I got an amazing bargain and that my um, wife's been fantastically good to me and I'm kind of so lucky. Well, yeah, it has been, I am lucky, but you've got to realise it's, it's cost six figures to get it where you more than, well, six figures plus, 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 plus to get it where it is today. So, you, you never hear a comment, oh, that guy just, you know, threw a bit of money in it, it came together. Well, no, 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 no. Believe me, no. And I can show you pioneer, monthly pioneer bills, and you need to take a second. <laughs> um, the five figures in the month. For that, for that, for that question, five figures a month. That's what, that's what it costs. Um, a couple of things I thought was, was interesting. Um, Banatai, there was only three strike masters that were quick Banatai And I believe, so uh, this is the internet, it says you know, Brandon. Um, and uh, one of the, uh, uh, um, it came up with the, with the Banatai, with the backs of the elephant. Through the brake, go and have a look at the tail. There's a little uh, teeth thing that comes out of the bottom of the tail. That's the Banatai equipment for a target tail. And weigh the balance, oh, we did weigh the balance on, um, on the aircraft on um, Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and uh, this week, and it's remarkably similar to, um, to uh, 70, there's only about 17 pounds difference between the two girls as you'd expect, but the, if you check the same weight as 70's got in 62's nose, 70's got 35 pounds, it puts it way out of uh, CFG, so just 35 pounds, or you know, in the nose, you can throw the CG out quite dramatically, which I think is really interesting for a 5,000 pound aircraft. And certification is waiting for it now, so it's all, all set to go. Part 1 and 5, why? Well, because it generates some income, bonus, you know, and it has a number of folds. Part 1 and 5 to the wider effort can cost a lot of money, but you know what, we've done We've done alright, we've done alright out of it. Um, it's paid, paid a sum of 60, uh, 62. Um, if, if somebody said to me the other day, wash the space, so be it, and that, it, that's absolutely right. And it has another benefit too, it keeps the pilots current, they can, you know, they can fly the passengers, they get currency as well, and uh, they keep their flying standards up to date, so it has a lot of positive impact, you know. And uh, 
Hey, well, it takes part in watching it happen a lot as well. Um, but it is a lot of work. Don't get me wrong, part one and five is a lot of work. And, um, but in the future, with now 62 on board, and it'll be set up by part one and five, we'll be having two ships so, and, in the long term, so you'll be able to go off and have a bit of dog fighting, which I think will be pretty fantastic. Pretty fantastic, I can tell you. Frustrations. Cost, cost. Oh my goodness me, they are huge and they are endless. Endless. Chris Electrics, as I said, you've got better wiring than Morris Minor than you have in the Strikemaster. Spears, they never get any cheaper, believe me. Paperwork, endless, and time. It takes a lot of time. You know, I've got a busy job in the day, my day job is pretty busy, so it takes a lot of time. But, I love owning my aircraft. Love it. I love it. It's great. And I, I really enjoy owning a piece of New history. You know, these aircraft mean so much to so many people that it seems, um, you know, I, I really feel like I'm only just a caretaker. And that, these aircraft will last generations if we look after them and spend the money, spend the time on them now, you know. So that's why no expense is fair, you know. Everything's dealt with. If there's an issue, we deal with it and move on. You know, sit on it. I can assure you these will be some of the best kicks right masters in the world, despite the cost. I am proud to say that I've got a fly. Yeah, I am, you know. I mean, it's, it's been a big mission. It really has. And, you know, I mean, I've got great people with me, but, you know, nobody's given it to me. They had to work hard at making it happen. And, uh, oh, strike master models. Yes. <laughs> got, got the strike master models, we, um, we bought about 10 or uh, 12 or 20 or something that um, sold a few. They come with a with a decal we got made up. Um, excuse me. Uh, with the actual um, stickers and, and pictures of 70 with stickers, decals that relate to 62, 70, and 72. So if you want a piece of iconic Zealand history, you can buy them from the Warbird shop. They're about sixty dollars. Costs a lot of money. I bought about twenty of them. So um, I'm not making any money out of it. It's just to um, Help, help you guys if anybody wants one. You know, they can go buy one from the shop and help us so, um, help us make good money. Questions? I'll avoid you to tears. Say again? No, no, I work very hard. I work, did I hear it's some money? No, I didn't hear it's some money, not at all. You were saying about. Not a good investment. Terrible investment. Horrible investment. You're saying about the depth rockets being uh, the Mark V being so different. Yep. Did that have to go through its own um, burst of time? I can't answer that. So I, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't know. It's quite different. I mean, it's got a it's got a thousand pounds less thrust, similar weight, but a lot less thrust. So you know, you're going to be you're going to limit yourself the amount of runways you can actually actually use. Um, I seem to think it's not not pressurised. I could be wrong. I don't think it's pressurised. So the canopy is different. Um, avionics are different, doesn't have wind hard points, uh, has tip tanks but smaller tip tanks, so it's quite a bit, big difference between the two. Uh, so, yes, gentlemen, so in the one How much time do you need to do these Oh, yeah, good question. Um, you do, uh, well, obviously, the legal requirements, three circuits in 90 days to take passenger up, but uh, it depends on your level, like Granny, Mark, and Dean are, Dean Beverly are. Infinite experienced pilots, so they probably need less. I like to fly at least at least 
once, twice a month at least. Um, particularly here, because it's short. You know, you've got there's a few gotchas here, and you know, you've got lots of sickness flying around, so you've got to be on, you've got to be on your game. And you don't just, and it's a good question, probably, and don't do any questions, you don't just jump in the gym and go flying. You know, you think about it, I might not do it. If I do a local circuit, I don't do a proper flight plan, but I really think about what I'm going to do, where I'm going to go, my heights and speeds and so on. If I'm doing it across country, yeah, there is a lot of planning. I mean, I, I've got it in the cockpit, you know, I mean, you know, fuel burn, routes, frequencies, and all that sort of stuff. Because we try to get up high, you know, we change it around 25,000 feet, depending on which way we're going. And um, 25,000 feet, you, you're in control with control of VFR, visual flight rules, and so you'd be treated quite differently. So you really need to be on top of your game up there. And you have, remember, no water pilot's dry master said 25,000 feet or higher, you're hand flying it, and one small nudge took down, and you dropped three, four, five hundred feet, and then they're on the radio and telling you off that you're. They normally say cheeky Q and H, and as soon as you say that, they call. And also, instruments aren't that. Um, sometimes get a little strange at times. So, is there another question? Uh, thanks for uh, removing any doubts in my brain for going to my strike master. Oh, <laughs> 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 Yeah, and that's a nice idea. Oh yeah, no, I mean, we're using, uh, uh, the engine 62 has got 200 hours left in it before 1,000, and we'll probably run on, on permission from then. Um, we can't do questions if it's on permission, but we can run it. Um, at current usage, that will last us 10 years. Yeah, they are available, they're expensive. I mean, I'm probably going to, my next project is, because the RNZ here, uh, ran them to 1800 up to TBO, uh, and in America ran them to 3000, which I think is way too long. But a pilot, there's pilots out there, on there. Roll, 2000, I'll tell you the story. 2002, Rolls Royce put out a AD, service bulletin. No, sorry, service bulletin, AD, service SP, service bulletin. It says any civilian operated Rolls Royce Viper 535 must have a TBO of 1000 hours. And why do they do that? Not because there's any reason that the engines are suddenly going to fall over a thousand hours. It's all politics. They don't want a Rolls Royce engine being operated by a civilian, um, a civilian operator. So they just see 2002, right, a thousand hours, she's in the rubbish. And so we're probably, uh, what they did with the Merlins is quite, quite different. Some of you know this, they put the Merlins into a trust, separate from Rolls Royce. So there's a Merlin trust that uh, operates so all the information about Merlins, port, equipment, and so on is run by the Merlin Trust where the Vipers are still run by Rolls-Royce. So, yeah, we'll have a fight in the hands, but I tend to work with civil aviation, who are great. We've got a really good relationship. We've got a really good relationship with them. We tend to, my intent is to either um, try to get them TBO extended, acknowledging that the Rolls-Royce SB was slow politics, British, British politics, or possibly long-term doing some sort of overall shop over here, one of the two. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, what's the probability that something will like get broken here with? Oh, that's beyond. Oh, that's serious money. I mean, this is the, this is serious money. The Mackie is probably going to would be four times the cost of the Stride Master, and A4 would be probably ten times the ten. I don't know. I mean, it's horrific. It's horrific. I mean, to be honest, the old thirty nines and Stride Masters are the last of the generation. Where you, I won't say an ordinary person, but somebody can own. 
Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood. 